Amen. Good morning. I want to start out with a quick poll. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Kane Tanaka. Everyone in my life group class has heard of Kane Tanaka, and some people who've been to Japan have heard of Kane Tanaka. Kane Tanaka is a Japanese woman. She is now currently the oldest person alive on the earth. She's 119 years old. Kane Tanaka was born in 1903, the year the Wright brothers flew their first plane. In my research this week, I also learned that um, of the 45 oldest living people right now, 44 are women. There's a joke in there somewhere. It's too easy. Kane Tanaka was born in 1903 and is now the oldest living person. And here's what this means. Every human being who was born in the 1800s is gone. Death does come for us all. The wages of sin is death. Death eventually comes for everyone. And the wages of sin is death. In Hosea's day, and in Hosea chapter 13, Israel is going to wake up on their payday. That's what we're going to see in Hosea chapter 13. Hosea chapter 13, we're going through the whole book of Hosea, and we're going to finish, Lord willing, next Sunday. As you turn to Hosea 13, the theme this morning is going to be death, but it's not all going to be bad news. That's what we'll see in Hosea chapter 13. Before I read Hosea 13, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has defeated death. So that we can think and talk about death without crippling fear and hopelessness. Lord, as we read Hosea 13 and learn from it this morning, give us eyes to see what you would have us see. Give us ears to hear what you want us to hear this morning. And give us hearts to receive your word with obedience and joy. You have prepared a mighty feast for us. Help us feast well on your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The prophet Hosea, chapter 13. I'm going to read the whole thing just to get all of it in front of our minds. And I'm just going to take one break in my reading to point one thing out along the way. Hosea, chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, it is reprinted in your bulletin and it will be behind me on the screen. Hosea 13. This is the glorious word of our Lord. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal 
and died. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. Therefore, they shall be like the morning mist, or like the dew that goes away early, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor, or like smoke from a window. But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. So I am to them like a lion. Like a leopard, I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breast, and there I will devour them like a lion, as a wild beast would rip them open. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your rulers? Those of whom you said, give me a king and princes. I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. The pangs of childbirth come for him, but he is an unwise son, for at the right time he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. And now we pause for a moment before verse 14, because after these words of national judgment, we get almost whiplash hearing verse 14. Here it is. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. Oh, death, where are your plagues? Oh, Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Though he may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come, rising from the wilderness, and his fountain shall dry up, his spring shall be parched, it shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their little ones shall be dashed in pieces and their pregnant women ripped open. Hosea chapter 13. The theme of the chapter is death. Poetically describing the death of a nation. Verses 15 through 16 is a really shocking ending. It's not prose, it's poetry. God has promised to Israel that they are going to let their worst enemy come and take them over and have their way with them if they kept rejecting God. And so 15 and 16 poetically describes a brutal enemy coming in for the kill, showing no mercy. Look at verse 15 again. 
though he may flourish among his brothers. Because at the time, uh, Israel was rich, they were wealthy, they had good crops coming in, but they kept thinking it was all due to their own strength and their own wisdom and their own goodness. They had forgotten their God. They had prosperity, so they forgot God. God says the wind is going to come and it's going to dry up their fountain. Their spring is going to be parched and your treasury is going to have nothing left one day. All those riches you think you gained, O Israel, it's going to be gone. And then you see in 16 the, the language poetically of an army coming in. Things that we don't even need to share, but sometimes in war, soldiers have no regard even for women or children. And poetically, we see that that's what the Assyrian army is like. And because God said to Israel, turn back from your sins, come to me. I'm there with mercy. I'm there with tender words. They rejected God and the Assyrian army was going to have their way with the people. That's that poetic language in 15 and 16. The theme of this chapter is death. And in Hosea 13, we're going to see four things about death. Four things about Death. And I said it's not all going to be bad news. The first thing we're going to see is that false gods bring death. False gods bring death. That'll be in verses 1 through 3. Then in 4 through 13, we'll see that sin forgets life. Sin forgets life. Sin causes us to forget our true source of life. Third, in verse 14, death loses. Death loses. And then fourth, 15 and 16, The wages of sin is death. Four things. False gods bring death. Sin forgets life. Death loses. And the wages of sin is death. Let's go through those one at a time. First, false gods bring death. Look again at verse 1 of Hosea 13. When Ephraim, a placeholder for all the people of Israel. In Hosea, Ephraim was a name that could take the placeholder for speaking of the whole nation of Israel. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal, that's a false god, and died. And now, even though they died as a nation spiritually by worshiping false gods, verse 2, and now they sin more and more. And now they make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made. They're skillfully sinning, made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. So Israel is condemned here. They, they worshiped a false god and they spiritually died, but they were still alive, right? He incurred guilt through Baal and died, but then they're still alive in verse 2, sinning more and more. When we go off to serve other gods, we're living a life of death, even though we're still alive. We're living a dead life when we're worshiping false gods and we're doing it skillfully. We have learned to skillfully sin at times. At the end of verse 2, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. That's that echo of the golden calf stories, multiple golden calves. And, it's, and they're sort of praising, oh, look at you. You kissed the calf. Look at that beautiful false god statue you crafted skillfully with your metalwork. Look at how good you are at worshiping false gods. And so some of those skillful false worshipers are even being praised in their nation. Life apart from God's design, though, is a dead life. And and Adam and Eve learned this in the garden. Our first parents in the Garden of Eden sinned. They chose themselves over the one true God, and now they were living with an expiration date. They were living in a world of death. 
They were living in a world where they were going to die. And we are born into that same world as well. We are born into a world of sin, and we're part of the problem. And so Jesus comes, and why do you think Jesus offers new life? He offers us the ability to be born again. He offers us light and hope because apart from him, this world has no light, has darkness and death and suffering and slavery to sin. And so he offers redemption from all these sins that many of us engage in skillfully. Let me read one of the lists of sins in the New Testament. There's a bunch. Jesus gives this one in Mark chapter 7. If you're wondering, I'm not really a sinner. I've never done any of those sins. Okay, well, I invite you to be really sad with me as we read through this list. Mark 7, verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, in other words, you really like these things sometimes, don't you? Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, Coveting, wanting what everyone else has. Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And then Jesus says, all those evil things we do come from within and they defile a person. Sin is within and it leads to death. Israel at the time of Hosea was full of those sins and it led them all to death. That's why they were going to face national judgment. But we, like the Israelites in Hosea's day, we like our sins sometimes. We like our false gods sometimes and we get really good at it. We skillfully sin, don't we, sometimes? Let me give you an example of becoming really good at skillfully sinning, okay? I was pretty good at it in high school. Let me explain. I, I was uh, a competent basketball player. And yes, it's only because I'm tall. <laughs> you play basketball because you're tall, right? I, I was a pretty good basketball player. And whenever I was on a playground, I would get picked first. And here's how we picked teams for basketball. You would get everyone in the line and you would shoot foul shots. And the first two people to make a foul shot became the captains. Okay. Sometimes it took one or two times through the line for people to make a foul shot. And then you had the two captains. Well, I was also really good. I was the best player on my team at foul shooting. I almost never missed a foul shot. But when we were picking teams, I made sure every time to miss my foul shots. Because I didn't want to be a captain. Because I wanted everyone to know that Dave Matchett was picked first. I did that. I intentionally missed so that everyone would know that Dave Matchett was always picked first. I wanted attention. I got all sorts of value from what other people thought of me. I knew sports could give me momentary attention, momentary value. So I made my choices to get the maximum praise from other people. I went to the God of pride to feel better about myself. But pride doesn't make you beautiful. Are any of you impressed with me that I did that? Do any of you think, wow, what a cool guy. That pride didn't make me beautiful. It made me ugly. That was ugly of me to do that. Pride does that. It will let us down. I worship the false god of pride. Oh, and it let me down. 
It let me down. I've shared this story before, but we were in our big rivalry basketball game. No lie, one second left, and I had two shots on the foul line, and we were down one. And guess who, for the first time ever, missed both of his shots? And the God of pride said, I offer you momentary joy, but I will demand everything. So I couldn't stay to shake hands after the game. I had to run to the bathroom in tears because my God had let me down. I was skillful at worshiping that God. It let me down a lot. We become like what we worship. And false gods are fake. And so Israel in Hosea's day was actually becoming faker and faker. Less human and less human. Look again at verse 3, how they're becoming like their false gods that they worship. Verse 3, therefore they shall be like the morning mist, or like the dew that goes early away, or like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor, or like smoke from a window. In other words, it's not worth it. It won't last. They were worshiping fake momentary idols, and they were becoming fake momentary humans. And the whole nation became like that, numb to their sins. That is point number one. False gods bring death, but it's death while you're still alive. It's a life of death. False gods bring death. Second, sin makes us forget life. This is in verses 4 through 13. I'm not going to read them all again. But when we sin, we're putting our hope in false gods. And when we do that, it makes the true God harder to see. When we're worshiping false gods, it makes the true God harder to see. The God of life. So sin blinds us. Sin forgets life. Look at verse 4. They had forgotten, right? But I am your God. I am the Lord your God uh, from the land of Egypt. Remember, I brought you out of slavery. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. But obviously they were going to other gods, other saviors. They were trusting in other powers, other resources. Now look at verse 6. See, here's what happens. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and they ate so much. They had so much prosperity, so many good crops, so many feasts. They had all that filling their belly. And the end of verse 6, their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. Sin makes us forget our God. Sins make us forget the true source of life. Sin forgets life. Look at verse 9. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Their sins made them go against the God who actually could give them value, could give them worth, could give them protection from their enemy. In verses 10 and 11, God reminds them, I gave you a king, but he was actually supposed to be their true king. Not the human king, but God himself was supposed to be their king, but they didn't worship him. In God is life. False gods bring death, but Israel's sins made them forget their source of life. That's what sin does. We forget life. Uh, we know this from any kind of thing that becomes a little addiction in our life. Uh, so phones can sometimes be an addiction. I asked a, a question in our Sunday school class this morning, our marriage class. I said, raise your hand if you have never had the experience of feeling like someone was ignoring you for their phone. 
No hands went up. So raise your hand if you have never had the experience of feeling like someone was ignoring you for their phone. I'm looking. I don't see any hands. All right, phones can easily become that, right? Phones can easily distract us from the things that are going around us. Uh, This past week, my family was able to take two days uh, up in the Poconos at an indoor water park, the Great Wolf Lodge. We left after church. We went and got lunch, and then we went up on Sunday night. And uh, here's what they do. You get a wristband, and the wristband has your door key, so you can get in your door, your room. And the wristband has your credit card information. It's another idol for some people. Uh, But that means you can go into the water park in your swimsuit and your wristband, and you don't need to bring your phone. I forgot what it was like to be away from my phone for a couple hours. It was freedom! I didn't hear any notification noises. See, these sins, these addictions, the things we get into, they distract us from life. I had forgotten that I could go an hour with having, having to look at something. Sins do that. They make us forget that there is a God of life and a God of hope and a God of joy and a God of peace and a God of comfort. We go to our sins to to give us that comfort and that joy and that hope and that, that tummy feeling. Oh, that was good. And we forget there's a source of that. Sin blinds us to life. Look at verse 6 again. They had grazed. They became full. They were filled. Their heart was lifted up. They were so happy that they forgot me. That's what happened. They forgot God. They had other gods. Their bellies were full. Their hearts were lifted up. But only for a moment. False gods promise everything. But they only give you a little bit and they take everything. False gods promise everything. But they only give you a little bit and then they take everything. Because we become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. That's number two. Sin forgets life. I told you the theme was death, so sin makes us forget where true life comes from. Well, third, the good news, death loses. Death loses. Look at verse 14. In the midst of all of that judgment language in the rest of the chapter, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, Where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. In other words, death and Sheol, God isn't going to have compassion on them. Death and Sheol are going to lose in God's plan. Death is not going to win in the story. So Israel sinned. The wages of sin is death. They're going to die. God says, I have a plan for death to lose. Death is going to lose its power, its plagues. Sheol is going to lose its sting. We're going to come back to that at the end in a few minutes, but it does feel like whiplash. You're reading this. Wow. National judgment, condemnation. The army's going to come in and God says, but I have, I have a story for death and death doesn't make it to the last chapter. That's what God is saying. It's almost whiplash for us. This is only possible. Verse 14 is only possible if we have a God of incredible mercy and grace. That verse is only possible if there is a God of incredible mercy and grace. Third, death loses. We'll end with that. Fourth, the wages of sin is death. These are the last two verses. 
Look back at the beginning of verse 16. Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. We see this theme over and over as we've been going through Hosea. God's people sinned. They're guilty. God was faithful and they were rebels. So they're going to receive the reward for their sins. The wages of sin is death. As I've said multiple times as we've gone through Hosea, the Assyrian army did come and destroy the northern kingdom, Israel, Ephraim, Samaria, all the nicknames for it, in 722 B.C. We actually read about what happened in uh, 2 Kings 17. 2 Kings, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read one verse. Listen to the story of how the Bible says it happened. 2 Kings 17, verse 6. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. Israel, up until the time they made it into the promised land, was a wilderness people. And yet they made it to the promised land and they all had their own territory. They all had their place. But now through Assyria, they were going to be scattered again all across the Mediterranean world. Northern Africa, everywhere. They were scattered because they chose the gods of scattering over the one true God who had brought them into the promised land. They were in the promised land, but because of their sins, now they were exiles. They were going to be exiles. Slaves to their sin. They chose death over life. They chose sin over God. The wages of sin is death. That's point number four. They got their paycheck. The wages of sin is death. Four things. False gods bring death. Sin forgets life. Death loses. And the wages of sin is death. We're going to end now with the good news. Good news. Death loses. Look again. At verse 14, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. If you don't know, Sheol is like a, a nickname for the grave or death or the underworld. Hey, somebody recently died. Well, they went to Sheol. That's what Sheol means. It's like a, a, a term that was used at the time to talk about the death or the grave or the underworld. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. The people of Israel were their own problem. Their own sins were getting in their way with their relationship with God and their relationship with their neighbor because all the bloodshed in the streets, all the lying in the marketplaces that was going on in Hosea's day. Their sins led them to death. They even brought death to the lives of children. They were afraid of death. Their enemies were bringing death. They sought life from dead gods. They needed someone to do something about death. They needed a death defeater. But how is God, if death and sin is in the sinner, if if we have earned death through the wages of sin, how is God going to defeat death without defeating all of us? That seems to be the conundrum, isn't it? How is God going to defeat death without defeating all of the sinners? Someone was going to have to pay that price. That's why Jesus 
needed to come. God says, I am going to ransom them from death. How? Well, we needed a ransomer. I'm going to redeem them from Sheol. How? Well, we needed a redeemer. Mark 10, 45 reads this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to be a ransom. 1 Corinthians 15, the great chapter on the resurrection, talks about this verse, Hosea 13, 14. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, we get a rephrasing of this idea. Let me read some of it. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Our sins have earned us death. Jesus has defeated death, and the defeat of death is permanent. This theme of, well, death and Sheol, the the process of dying, the place where you go, and then final death, are they going to lose in the end? Revelation 20, verse 14. Then death and Hades, there they are again, were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So death loses. Israel, in 700s B.C., had filled their land with death. And God said, even in spite of that, I will solve the problem of death at the great price of my own son. That is what God has done for sinners. That is the gold of the book of Hosea. In the midst of national sin and national judgment, the story doesn't end there. Death is dead. Death has lost its power. Death has lost its sting. That was God's promise in Hosea's day. And we see with Easter coming up in a few weeks, that is the great truth of the Christian faith. The tomb is empty. Death doesn't have the last word in your life. And that changes everything. Let's think about how to apply the death of death from Hosea 13. Here's what it means. It means that we don't need to be afraid of death. Kane Tanaka has been going for 119 years, but she's going to die one day. And I'm going to die one day. And you're going to die one day. And only God knows that exact moment, handpicked for you. But because of death not being the end of our life, we don't need to be afraid of death. That's what this means. It means we can risk losing our career because we've chosen to honor Christ. It means we can risk friendships at school by letting our friends at school know that we're Christians. It means we can let other people know that we want them to find hope and joy in Jesus Christ. We can do evangelism, and even if we lose a, a relative or a friend in that relationship, it's worth the risk to share this good news that death has been defeated. We can risk losing relationships. We can stop trying to live forever in this life. No one is going to be able to do that. It means we can accept pain, trials, and suffering 
because they're temporary. Because death has been defeated. It means we can give our lives to Christ because he gave his life for us. It means that no matter the cost, Jesus is worth living for. Because he's defeated death for you. And this not only changes your life, this truth changes your death. I want to end with a story. Uh, Some of you know the Christian author Randy Alcorn. Randy Alcorn wrote um, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Uh, Wrote a book on heaven, actually. You know, if living for Jesus, even though it's dying to ourselves, if that's true life, if that's abundant life, if that's eternal life, if death has been defeated, which we're going to celebrate in a minute at the Lord's Supper, then these truths that death is dead are going to change even our death. So Randy Alcorn's wife uh, died this past Monday. And he, he spent a couple days thinking about what he wanted to say. And he wrote this on Wednesday. And I'm going to end with what Randy Alcorn wrote this Wednesday. His wife Nancy, after a, a long um, struggle, fading away because of cancer. As of Monday morning, Nancy is with Jesus. So happy for her. Sad for us. But the happiness for her triumphs over the sadness. The happiness for her triumphs over the sadness. Grieving is ahead and it will be hard. But these last years and especially this last month have given us a head start on the grieving process. I'm so proud of my wife for her dependence on Jesus and her absolute trust in the sovereign plan and love of God. Nancy is and always will be an inspiration to me. I've spent the last two days with family and friends thanking God for his grace and the promises of Jesus that we will live with him forever in a world without the curse. And he will wipe away all the tears And all the reasons for the tears. All God's children really will live happily ever after. That is not a fairy tale. It is the blood-bought promise of Jesus. What a great and kind God he is. As of Monday, Nancy now lives where she sees this firsthand. In the place where joy truly is, the air she breathes, quote, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1611. One more paragraph. Thank you so much for all your prayers. Some of you for four years of praying consistently for Nancy. My heart is full of gratitude to you. Don't feel your prayers were not answered. Many of them were. And many others were answered in a better way than we could ever ask. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Jesus has defeated death for everyone who has called on his name. It changes your life 
and it even changes your death. Let's pray. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to come before your table, thinking of the body and blood Jesus shed for us, thank you that the sins of Israel in Hosea's day were not the end of the story. We filled this world with death and you sent your son to die to defeat death. So may that truth that death has been defeated for us as we go to work, as we go home, as we love our neighbors, as we gather and meet with strangers, as we worship you this week, may our lives be shaped by the fact that you have defeated death for us. Because you loved us so much, you sent your Son to die in our place so that we could have eternal life. Help us live lives empowered by the defeat of death by Christ our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Jesus made it abundantly clear in his earthly ministry.